do, if you'd open it with me, uh, to the book of Romans as we continue on in our series called Made Right, as we begin to understand that the just shall live by faith. We can't make ourselves right. It's God who's made us right through Jesus Christ. We're going to read verses uh, 28 through 30. We will not get past verse 28. Has anybody eaten an elephant in here, by the way? Just, you know, but that, the saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And that's what we're going to do here in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 here. Um, but if I have, and I already had a contingency for this, if I had said that in a sermon before, the title of my message is how to eat an elephant, today is how to eat an elephant part two. Okay, so this is the beauty of it. You can just keep reusing it. And if I do it again, it'll just be part three. Um, but I'm going to read this in both the NLT translation and in the New King James, because I'm going to actually use the King James to teach it from, because I want to get into very specific words. Those are the bites that we're going to be talking about. Five bites today. We're going to, five bites we're going to take out of uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 28 here this morning. But I'm going to read it from the NLT. And I'm going to read verses in context here, verses uh, 28 through 30. Uh, in both of those, and then we'll take a moment and pray. In the NLT translation, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And I love that you know, in the NLT. I think when you, you chew on that for a while and you start to really receive what God is communicating, it, it is a tremendous blessing. In the New King James Version translation, it says this, And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Isaac and the worship team this morning, just as... They lead us in song, how it just softens our heart. It, it can get so crusty through the course of the week. And uh, as Jesus, you said that uh, one of the ways that people would cleanse themselves, they didn't have to take a bath completely when they walked into somebody's house to sit down and share a meal. They just need their feet, their feet washed and their hands washed just from, from walking in a dirty world. And Lord, we, we know we're clean because of you, because of your word because of your life, because of your shed blood on Calvary's cross. But Lord, we, we confess that we get dirty. Uh, we, we step in it, uh, so to speak, during the course of the week. And we need to be washed and we need to be cleansed. And we thank you for your word that does that today. We pray that, Lord, as we, we open it now and we read of it, that, Lord, we receive all that you have for us. And, Lord, we pray that your people, Lord, would be 
edified, encouraged today, and built up, strengthened, exhorted, Lord, that we would live lives that are pleasing to you. God, we thank you for communion Sundays. We thank you for the reminder of the cross and just the love that you have for us, that you would go there and die in our place, that in you, that we could have eternal life and that we could not only know heaven, but Lord, to know you personally. God, and to not just make it to heaven, but as your word declares here, to share in your glory, to be transformed into the very image of Christ. And so Lord, have your way with us today. Lord, you who began that good work, Lord, we thank you that you're faithful to complete it. And Lord, we subject ourselves and submit ourselves to you today, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be magnified and glorified in each of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Romans, you know, 828, um, you know, it's probably one of the most quoted verses I, I've shared with you, you know, in all of the Bible. Um, people don't just like it for themselves, but uh, by, by a show of hands here, I guess we'll just do this. How many have ever written this verse down and shared it with somebody else? You just maybe put it in a card or found a card? Yeah, there are a lot of you. It's just, I mean, I don't know. If God had a refrigerator, I promise you, this verse would be on it, okay? I mean, it's just, it's that. It's usually in the top 20 um, every year of verses that people love and that minister to them. And, and I know for myself, uh, it is so true. I love what R.A. Torrey said about this verse uh, in particular. He said, it's a soft pillow for a weary heart. Uh, and I think that really captures it and what the Lord would desire us to, to glean from it. But as we study this today, you know, like I said, I, I asked the question, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. And I look at this particular passage of scripture, and these especially in context here, and there, there's a lot of ground to cover. Matter of fact, next week, I don't know if you would consider yourself to, an Arminianist, someone who believes in the free will of God, and that's where you park everything in your life, that it's all about us choosing. Or if you would consider yourself, you know, a Calvinist, uh, someone who believes in predestination, that, you know, that it's all, you know, on God. Um, we're going we're gonna to answer that next week. We're we going to tackle that. You will leave here next week and you will know exactly where you stand. Are, are you an Arminianist? Are you a Calvinist? You know, I mean, and, and you will have no struggles after, after next week, I promise you. So, so be here. And uh, no, but it, it's fun to, to dig into it. And it's, you know, it's, it's not as difficult as people make it out to be. One of the things I love about being a Calvary Chapel, you know, is Pastor Chuck, you know, I, I shared this, you know, yesterday in a teaching over in, in Oxnard. Um, you know, some people have the ability to take simple things and make them really complex. And there's something about people that teach that, you know, whether it's to try to impress people and, and wax eloquence or whatever, you know, they might do. Um, you, you know, you listen and, you, and you're just going, where's, where's the practical, practical aspect of that? You know, and it just kind of goes over your head and you feel stupid. They'll use words that, you know, you just don't comprehend at all. And so you have to go home and study the word for an hour and a half to try to figure it out. And, and then there's people like Pastor Chuck, who's a brilliant man, but he took complex things and he made them really simple and, and you could take them to heart. And he said something one time, especially with regard to these passages here that we're going to be studying over the next two weeks. He goes, and, and I love this you know, as a simple minded person, is he said, you know, what does Jesus called pastors to do? He goes to feed sheep or to feed giraffes. And he goes, sheep. He goes, so the, food, the, the, the purpose of a pastor or a shepherd is to get the food down low, right? Not so high that the sheep can't reach it. 
And I just love that imagery because it, it's so true. There's some people that just, that's their whole thing is they just want to feed giraffes, you know, and the sheep are starving. And then you have, you know, like Pastor Chuck Smith, just bring it down to a level where you go, this is what Jesus would want you to know. And that will be the approach that we'll use next week. You can go as deep as you want to go with it, but I think it'll help you come to a place where you can, at least in your heart, I think that's really the key thing is that it can be settled uh, before the Lord. And that, that's where we find our peace is not being double-minded, you know, not being, you know, unsure, you know, God wants us to be sure. And I think that's one of the reasons this is, this is so profound. You know, as we've, we've studied the book of Romans so far, if you haven't been with us, you remember when the book opened up, you know, Paul spends the first three chapters in just making it perfectly clear that all of the world is, is guilty before God. And then he lays out, how do we become right with God? And he used Abraham and he used, you know, David as an example. And, and he did that as they were men of faith. They were, they were men who believed God, who trusted God. And that was to get the, the Jews heart. And then to help us understand that our victory will never be in trying to keep the law. It will, it will always be by trusting what God has done for us. And then in chapter six, he, he lays out, you know, that, that victory that we have in dying to ourselves, being raised to Christ. But then he goes into something that we can all appreciate is that between here and being glorified one day, you know, with God, we struggle. We go through hard things. That can be the struggle with sin. It can be just the, the pain and the suffering that we've been talking about the last few weeks that we all have to, to face. And then it ultimately gets to chapter eight where, you know, he makes this promise that, you know, again, as we talked about this the last few weeks is that he opens the chapter with saying, you know, that there's no condemnation. There's no judgment over you any longer that Jesus, when he died on that cross, that's what we celebrate today, that he paid the price for all of your sin, past, present, and future. You are justified just as if you'd never sinned before God. That's your position in Christ today. Now, do you always feel that way? Nah. You know, but we are. And then to think there's something, you know, most of the things he's talking about are past tense here, right? But there's one thing that he's talking about that is present tense, and that's glorification. I mean, we look at each other and we go, hey, you haven't been glorified yet. Well, not according to us by looking at each other, but in God's economy, he already has. Because he's God. He's the Alpha, he's, he's the Omega. He sees, you know, and we'll get into this next week, the beginning and the end. He is the sovereign one. And, and to know that, you know, God is for us, that he's not against us. I mean, there's just tremendous peace, you know, that, that comes with that. And yet, when I look at this, you know, as we've studied this, you know, we, we spent a couple weeks talking about pain and suffering. And, and then last week on groaning, you know, that, that it's not just me who groans, you know, and not just you who groans, but all of creation groans. And even the spirit himself groans. Because why? You go, because Jesus hasn't, hasn't come yet. We're still here. We're still on planet earth, you know, and we're still living out this faith. And there's, there's going to be days and times where it involves tremendous pain and sorrow and suffering and persecution. Uh, man, I'll tell you, uh, and I, the conference yesterday, you know, it was, it was stay true. You know, we'd been pushing it, you know, uh, a few of you went and I can tell you by far and away, um, it's the best conference that I've ever been to, uh, even of the Calvary Chapel prior to Pastor Chuck's passing. Um, it, was just, it was just a rich day 
of really because of the days and the times that we live in. You know, um, when life is going good, it's fun when you go to a conference, you know, you just hear a few things and you kind of get pumped up, you know, a little bit. But, but when life is like it is right now and we've come out of COVID and we're still in COVID and we're seeing all the things that are transpiring, you know, in the world today, you go, you know, what's up for one? And then what do we do, you know, is another. And, and so I want to encourage you. I don't even know, Jason, you might know, was it, was it going to be available online? Yeah, so you could go to Calvary Chapel Oxnard. You might do this uh, again and just uh, listen. And one of our friends who was there, there was 13 teachers during the course of the day. And they go, man, it was going to church 13 times. But, um, you know, believe it or not, you know, we had to do a sermon in 20 minutes. The, the entire sermon had to be done in 20 minutes. And, and there was 13 of those throughout the course of the day. And then ended, you know, with a time of communion. But um, I, I love it because... You know, there's so much that, you know, we need that God wants to speak to today, you know, in this very moment in time. And, and yet, you know, when life is good, it's like I, I tell people all the time, you know, I don't really care about doing weddings. Weddings are okay, but nobody's listening at a wedding. They're just going, let's get to the reception, you know. I mean, but at a funeral, I mean, everybody's like, because you go, why? And you go, because they recognize there's something in us. They go, it's appointed and demand to what? To die. We're all going to face it. And so, man, it, it, it's sobering. It, it causes us to, to, to think about those things. And I love the privilege that God gives me to be able to speak into the lives of people, whether they're believers or non-believers, you know, in that moment. And, and, and to get to, you know, it's almost I found most of the, the memorials and funerals I do as of recent are because somebody who was at a funeral or memorial that I did previously. And they wanted to talk to me, you know, they wanted to see about their life and they wanted to get right with God before they died. And what a privilege that is to be able to sit with people at that very moment in time, you know, and then to have them by their own confession come to the place that they go, man, I wish, I wish, you know, that old expression, if I only knew then what I know now, they go, I wish I would have walked with God earlier in my life because there's a greater peace and there's a greater comfort and there's a greater joy that you'll know because life isn't always good. And like I said, and people, when life is good, don't really pay attention. You know, church is one of those things people, eh, you know, go, but I'll tell you what, I mean, if somebody dropped a bomb today, okay, I can remember what it was like on 9-11. It was standing room only in this church. You couldn't find a seat because people were scared. They thought it was the end of the world and they wanted to be right with God. And you know what? And Jesus said, when he returns to this earth, will he find faith upon this earth? Because what did he say they're going to be doing? The same thing they were doing in the days of Noah. They're just going to be eating and drinking and, and celebrating and everything. And their eyes and their minds and their hearts aren't going to be on the things of God. And it's true. And we see it happening all around us. And so to be true to that, you know, to be true to the Lord, and you go, how do we do that? And so God has allowed suffering in our life because any of us that have suffered in here, you know, as I know, when you suffered, suffering got your attention. Pain gets your attention, doesn't it? I mean, I have sciatica, so I can be walking, everything can be fine. And I'll tell you, when that thing kicks in and, and it hits, anybody have sciatica of any kind in here? You, so you know this move, right? Right? You go like this and you go, oh, and then you're afraid to move, right? You go, is it, gonna, is it taking me down or is it just telling me it's there? And the next step is going to tell you, right? So then you go, ah, or you go, ah, you know, and then it's boom. And, but God, he uses pain in a way like he uses nothing else. As I shared with you, you know, God whispers in our pleasure, but what? He says he shouts to us in our pain. Pain 
is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so we look at, you know, why would God even allow the tribulation and all these things? And you go, it has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. You know, I thought about this in light of uh, Romans, you know, eight twenty-eight. because if you don't read it in context and you don't realize there's a connection here in Romans eight twenty-eight to what? To groaning, right? And to suffering. It's not just because everything, everything's going my way. Usually... When you hold on to this verse, you hold on to this verse because you're in the midst of, or you are coming out of, or something is going on with regard to pain and suffering. And it's so true. Hudson Taylor, I want to read this to you. He was a, a great pioneer missionary to China. And he lost his wife, Maria, after 12 years of marriage. And they had, had one of those marriages that you, you, you just read about. Marriage made in heaven, you might say. And uh, they were just, you know, delighted in each other's love. And after death, he wrote this to his mother, who was in England at the time. He said, from my innermost soul, I delight in the knowledge that God does or deliberately permits all things and causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. He and only he knew what my dear wife was to me. He knew the light of my eyes and the joy of my heart were in her. But he saw that it was good to take her, good indeed for her. And in his love, he took her painlessly and not less good for me, who must henceforth toil and suffer alone, yet not alone. For God is nearer to me than ever. And now I have to tell him all my sorrows and difficulties as I used to tell dear Maria. And as she cannot join me in intercession to rest in the knowledge of Jesus' intercession, to walk a little less by feeling and a little less by sight, a little more by faith. You know, and he wrote that to his mom. Then he would write this to one of his missionary friends about the same time. He said, my eyes flow with tears and mingled joy and sorrow. When I think of my loss, my heart nigh to breaking rises in thankfulness to him who has spared her such sorrow and made her so unspeakably happy. My tears are more tears of joy than they are of grief. But most of all, I joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in his works, in his ways, in his providence, in himself. And you go, how can you write something like that? And you go, because he experienced it. He experienced the presence of God. You know, my friend, uh, Chuck yesterday shared, you know, that he was going through a time where he had COVID and he had blood clots in his leg and, and he was in the hospital. And he said, in the first time in his life, he said, God spoke to him. He said, you know, I, I had taught on um, first Kings and uh, the life of Elisha and Elijah. And when Elijah, remember when he was in the cave and the Lord spoke to him, and he said he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, but he was in the still small voice and the Greek language that's in a whisper. And Chuck said, uh, God came to me and he spoke to me and he said, you know, Chuck, he said, am I enough? And he said, he'd never asked me that before. I never thought about it. You know, is God, is God enough? And he goes, because what if I took, you know, everything from your life? And I remember I had the same experience, same exact experience in my own life years ago. You know, my wife would tell you same exact words from God. Mike, am I enough? If I took everything away from you, would I be enough? 
And in tears, I was bawling. My wife, you know, she called her dad, said, hey, I think Mike's having a nervous breakdown. And, and her dad, Rod, he said, no, he's not having a nervous breakdown. He's just having an encounter with God. And uh, so I'm sitting there in the backyard with my wife. And my wife goes, honey, you know, so what, 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 do, you, what, what, do, you, what do you think God's calling you to do? And I go, he's wanting me to surrender everything. And I can't. I know he wants me to, but I can't. I haven't done that. I haven't surrendered everything. Oh, I gave him my heart, and I believed I couldn't make it to heaven without him, so that part was easy. But he's going, no, but no, but can you give me everything? If you lose your position in, your, in work, if you lose your wife, if you lose your children, if I take everything away, like in Job's life, would you worship me? Would I still be enough? And the reason I couldn't say yes is because I didn't know. I didn't want to lie to God and say, oh, yeah, I could do that, because I hadn't lost those things. I, I felt... The process of it. it took a week. I went a whole week and praying about that every day. And then suddenly, you know, the Lord, the same exact spot on the other side of the freeway, same exact spot, but going in the opposite direction. He's, Mike, am I enough? And I said, yeah. And just bawling. Yeah, God, you're enough. You're enough. And it's in that pain, you know, where God, you know, visits you and it's life changes. Because many things have happened in my life, but I can remember that moment perfectly like it was yesterday when God encounters you and he, and he tells you and he reminds you, not just asking you the question, am I enough? But he reveals to you that he is enough. And he's been faithful every step along the way in my life, in your life. And again, so as I look at this there, in, you know, in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, you know, there's these verses, like I said, they're just so much to it. You've got to take them, you know, one bite at a time. The first bite you can see there in verse 28, look at it with me. Is, is the thought here of, and we know, you know, you might highlight that, you know, and we know, and focus on, meditate on, chew on that for a few moments here. You know, it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Isn't there, there's a, there's a, a, a ring of definiteness in there. You know, you think of what Paul is saying. He's not saying, well, you know, I, I, I think so, or, you know, I hope so. Like people go, I hope, you know, like, you know, when we hope in God, we're, our hope is what? Faith is what? The assurance. It's definite. It's, it's settled. There, there's no question. It's like, but most of our faiths, if we're really honest, we go, well, I kind of hope, I hope there's a heaven. I, I hope. And you go, how do we know that that's true? And you go, because just look at how many people are falling away. If you knew and you believed that it was true, there'd be no way you'd fall away. We all, you know, I mean, you know, I was sharing this in our Bible study on, on Wednesday morning, going through Timothy. Why is doctrine so important? Because what you believe determines how you behave. There's, there's no disconnect there. Or otherwise, it's called what? Hypocrisy. And that's why we teach doctrine, because doctrine changes the way that we think. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove, you can prove it out, Right? So what we think, what we think on, that's why I said it's good to chew on this. It's so important. Paul's saying, we know. He's going, we know definitely. Kenneth Wiest, he was a Greek scholar. He translated the New Testament. One of the translations and versions was the NASB. And he puts it this way. And he said, it should be written like this. And we know with absolute knowledge. I love that. And we know with absolute knowledge. I mean, 32 times in Paul's epistles, he uses that phrase, and we know. Five times right here in the book of Romans. You know, but we have to confess. 
Is there a few things we don't know? There's a lot. Matter of fact, I, I know less than what I know. There, there's so many things, and it, and it gets bigger every day. Knowledge is increasing, right, so rapidly. It's just boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I like what Pastor Greg Laurie said. He says, you know, if God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. You know, quit trying to pull God down into, and we'll talk about that next week, even with the thoughts of predestination and free will. You know, we keep trying to box God in. Oh, God is, he's so big. We can trust him. Why is it important? Why is it so important? When you read verse 28, because there's so much we don't know. So we better know what we do know. Amen? And we better be certain about what we do know. You know, because last week, you know, I shared with you in verse 26, you know, we don't even know how to pray. I mean, if we're honest, we don't even know how to pray. Has someone ever come to you and said, hey, can you pray for me? And you, and you, you go, sure, I'll pray for you. But inside, you're going like this. <laughs> I don't know what to pray. I mean, that's why I always love it. Because I tell people in church, hey, why don't you just get around the people that are around you and pray for you? They go, oh, no, that's what you get paid to do, Pastor Mike. Let them all come to the front. You know, at that point, I go, I get it. And they're just like, and they'll go, well, you know, I just don't feel comfortable praying. I just saw you flapping your jaw for 27 minutes and 32 seconds. You, it's, it's talking to God, right? Talk to God on behalf of the person. Uh, man, and I, but I get it. I mean, in all sincerity, I totally understand it. It's a fearful thing. You know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. God, you know, I, I get it. James 4, 13 and 14 puts it like this. says, look here. It says, you say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. Uh, we will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. I mean, we make all kinds of statements. Oh, next week I'm going to do this. Next week I'm going to do this. We should say what? What did James say? If. God wills, right? But we don't. We're so presumptuous. But there's a day coming, whether you believe it or not, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, when that trumpet is sound and the dead in Christ arise and those of us who remain are going to be caught up to be with Jesus. The question is, are we ready? Are we looking? You know? And so here, again, always, like I said, what Pastor Chuck, you know, would tell us, he'd say, you know, with regard to what we do know and what we don't know. He says, never trade what you do know what for what you don't know. And that's what happens is people, they lose hope. They lose sight of it because they forget what they do know. I, I remind you all the time. I forget what I need to remember. I remember what I need to forget. And so Paul here, he's going, and we know, we know. Make sure that you know, <laughs> that you know what you believe and hold on with everything that you have to what you believe. Don't let anybody deter you from it. The second bite that we see there in verse 28 says, all things, all things. Verse 28, what does it say? Um, we're just going to keep reading this over the redundancy of it. And we know that what? God causes all things, everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The focus on all things. Man, I can't think of a verse that brings more assurance, more joy to our lives, more confidence in the Christian life than this, that God uses all things. But we got to be careful here. He doesn't say that, you know, we, we know all things or, you know, but he says all things. And he didn't say that all things are good in and of themselves. I mean, the world's full of 
all kinds of terrible things. We're talking about cancer. You know, we're talking about death. We're talking about you know, things, things that we focus in on, homelessness, human trafficking, you know, um, all, well, you name it. The, the world's just filled with hurt and sorrow and sin. Those things aren't good. But somehow, some way, God can work in the midst of and does in the midst of all those things. When we think about what it does mean, we, we need to think about as well what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean, you know, when you think of this, because I hear this all the time from non-Christians, everything, everything's going to work out. No, no. For the non-believer, I mean, no, it's not going to work out. They, you'll hear people all the time. They quote, the world quotes, you know, Romans 8, 28, don't they? Oh, everything just works out. It's just all, you know, it's karma. It'll just all, it's all going to work out. And you go, no, people suffer, people die, people go to hell. It, it isn't all going to just work out. And so it's important that we understand this. You can't live however you want to live and think that it's all going to work out. And yet some of you, that's how you'll talk to your family. Hey, whatever makes you happy, honey, it all works out. It's so sad. I mean, we're, we're holding the door open, you might say, for people to enter into hell. We're just, that's what you want to do. <laughs> hey, be happy as you go. You know, it's kind of the, the philosophy as opposed to understanding. Being certain that you know that you know that you know. Because if you really believed that there was a heaven and there was a hell, you'd be going, you're going to hell over my dead body. Because that's exactly what Jesus said. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died so that we could be saved. You know, chapter 8, like I said, reminds us there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Now we teach it, period, right? If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. And it goes on and people say, well, but it says, but those who walk according to the Spirit. And you go, because if you're in Christ Jesus, guess what? The Holy Spirit is in you, right? You receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ. He's in you. And you're not walking according to the flesh any longer because Christ is in you. Does that mean you can stumble? Does that mean you can't fall? No, you can. You can step in it. You know, sin, you could say, clings to the Christian, but the Christian doesn't cling to sin. Does that make sense? That should be the, the change in our life. The second thing, you know, when it says all things are good. We just discussed that. Are all things good that go on in this world? Are they? No. All things are not good. Evil exists. Suffering exists. Sin exists. Death exists. Those are powerful things. But Jesus is more powerful. Amen. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is stronger. And yet, we can't bypass this. It doesn't say some things work together for good. This is the part that even believers struggle with. What does it say? All things. All things work together for good. I mean, it would be easier to believe if it said some things, right? I mean, we could all, we could all go with that, right? Well, some things work together for good. That's not what it says. Paul is saying, literally, literally speaking, God uses all things. All things. No limitation, no qualification, no confinement. 
as to what God uses because he's God. You know, we, use, we do that all the time with stuff, right? You can be working on something, you have parts, and you go, hey, give me this part. And they go, ah, I can't use that, right? That's not going to do me any good. You go, here, use this tool. You know, needs a Phillips head, and they give you a flat head. You know, ha, ah, can't use this tool. God's going, no, you can use everything, everything, all things, even suffering. And man, we shun that. I mean, one of the, this was a thing, one of the most profound things that was shared we were talking about yesterday was talking about living in these last days. It's like, what's happening? We've made everything so political in our world, in the church today. What's happening in the state of California? Christians are fleeing the state of California. Think about this. And I was teaching you about Elijah. And remember, Elijah just defeated the 450 prophets of, of, of Baal. And what does he do? Queen Jezebel says, hey, uh, tomorrow at the same time, you'll be dead. And what does he do? He has a meltdown. And he goes, he goes off on the run. And he goes before God. And, and what does he tell God? He says, God, I alone am left. You think about it. I, I shared, I said, you know, the very reasons that Elijah was giving God why he was running should have been the very reasons why Elijah stayed. Think about that. You know, in the life of the believers, we have believers leaving the state of California. It's dark in California. It's wicked in California. It's wicked everywhere. It's dark everywhere. But to flee it, to think, oh, because what? We want a life of comfort. We want a life of pleasure. And I'm not saying that that's what everybody does, but I can tell you the majority of people are. I mean, they'll show you a picture. Hey, we're getting a house by the lake. We're doing this. We've got, just got a you know, new jet ski. We've got, you know, da, 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 we're just going to. And you go, where's that in the kingdom? Not that those are bad things in and of themselves. But is that the Christian life? Is that what we've been called to? No, we've been called to what? To Christ. <sighs> I love that expression, you know. People say, they are so heavenly minded. They're of no earthly good. Now, it's until you become heavenly minded, you'll be of no earthly good. And this is what Paul's reminding of us here is that, you know, there's something in our life that we have to understand that God is in the midst of all these things. Like I said, the New American Standard translates it this way. He says, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good. I love how Skip Heitzig framed this verse. He said, this verse, verse would be better translated, we know with absolute certainty that God on an ongoing basis is causing everything to be working together for good to those who love God. Do we see it? No. Do we get it? No. But he's working. Don't run from it. Learn to embrace it. Learn to embrace it. God, I want what you want for my life. So it's not a statement of faith that, you know, things are just going to work out on their own. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of fact that God is providentially overruling everything that would come against us. And I love that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the NLT puts it like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Yeah, trusting God. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 puts it like this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For though... 
or excuse me, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things which we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Is it safe to say all things? Yeah, absolutely. You know, how many have ever heard of post-traumatic stress syndrome? And so you know what that is. Somebody is, is again, suffered through some traumatic experience, and then unfortunately it plays out or has lived out, you know, in, in their life. And, and psychologists, you know, have studied it for now over, you know, uh, a couple decades, and we're seeing the impact. And it's not just war. I mean, we see this with first responders, just people in general go through traumatic events and, and the impact that it has on their life. And, and it's a terrible thing. But psychologists have also noted that in their study of post-traumatic stress syndrome, they found another syndrome, and it's called PTG. Have you ever heard of that? Post-traumatic growth. This is real. Psychologists noted in a positive psychological change that ex people experienced in their life as a result of what? Adversity. Kevin and I were down in Brea. We were talking to a guy that had a motorcycle for sale. And we were, I told you we were talking about you know, heart conditions. I told him, you know, hey, I had this thing done. And he goes, well, I had a heart transplant. So I, I went like this. Okay. I just had a little stint. <laughs> He said, man, I had 27 surgeons, you know, working on me. He goes, they didn't think I was going to make it, you know, at all. And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, his name was Mike. And I said, or I called him Michael. I said, hey, Michael. I said, did it change your life? And he goes, oh, man. This, he was a post-traumatic growth syndrome guy. He goes, oh, yeah, I appreciate everything. I mean, you could think of, you know, going through that. It could be traumatic, right? And it could, it could ruin his life. Fortunately, you know, in an unfortunate situation, post-traumatic stress syndrome impacts the smaller number of people. PTG actually impacts a larger percentage of people, but you just don't hear about that. You know, there was 99 good things that happened in the course of the day, and one bad thing, what do we normally talk about? It's the bad thing, you know. Sometimes we just need to raise up the good things too. But it really, what a, what a blessing. It said, according to this field of, of experts, two-thirds of the trauma survivors experience PTG, post-traumatic growth, whereas only a small percentage actually experience post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD. It says, so their point is for most of us, adversity is healthy. It's good. It changes the way we think. We grow as a result of adversity. And I think most of us who have experienced that, we go, yeah, it's true, <laughs> but I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, you like the end result of it, you know, but man, but what? No chastening, the writer of Hebrews says, is pleasant at the moment. It hurts, it's painful. But what does it produce in our life? It usually produces something wonderful if we allow God to do that. The third bite that we see here in verse 28 is work together, work together. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God or called according to his purpose for them. Now you think about that work together. It's two words, but in the Greek language, it's one word. And I won't even try to butcher this, but it's spelled S-U-N-E-R-G-E-O. 
and you can pronounce it yourself or go on you know, YouTube and listen to three different translations of it and guess the middle one, I guess, I don't know. But um, in the Greek language, it's, it's an interesting word. It's where we get our English word synergy from, okay? The, and, and what it's talking about here, when you think about synergy, you know, what is synergy in its most simple definition? It's the, the total is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So it's kind of like if I can lift 50 pounds and you can lift 50 pounds, Synergy would say that we together can lift 150 pounds. We're just going, well, shouldn't it just be 100 pounds? And you go, no, that's the beauty of synergy. So you think about this. God causes all things to work together. It's, it's a synergistic event here. And, and, it's, and it means, you know, I mean, you think about the depth of this, you know, that what God, and we say this, God can do exceedingly above, right? All that we think or ask. Because we, we go, you know, one plus one is two. You know, we, we see everything on this level. We don't understand that God is not bound by anything that we're bound, the natural laws of physics. And yet he uses all things to work together for good. Now, I shared this story with you before growing up, and I was probably around eight, eight years old or so, and my, my sister and I took the train to Oregon to visit my grandmother. And my grandmother got all of her baking stuff out. You know, anybody have a grandmother that baked? You know, yeah, or even you have parents, your mom that baked or something, but there's, I mean, the, the whole counter is covered, you know, with all this stuff, flour, there's oil, there was Crisco, it was lard, you know, grease, and it's like, ugh. And uh, my grandma, she's going, honey, I'm going to bake uh, peanut butter and oatmeal cookies. And she had the Quaker oats out there and everything, and she goes, do you want to try it? And I love, you know, and I go, yeah. And she put, I remember the first thing she did, she put Crisco grease, you know, Crisco tub of Crisco. She t put it on a spoon. Well, it looked like vanilla to me. And I go like this. I go. And she, I can still see her beautiful face. Yeah. But she, she's like, and I'm like. And I mean, and it messed with my head because I was like, Grandma, it tastes so bad. And she's like, no, honey, that's, that's part of the cookie. And I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And she said, no, you put them all together in the bowl. You mix it together, and then what do you do with it? You put it to heat. You put it to the test. And what happens? In the heat, it bakes it together, right? It blends it together. That's the trials of life, the same thing. All, God takes all these things, and they could be terrible in and of themselves if you isolate them. But God and his supernatural workings takes those things, blends it together, puts the heat on it, and what does it produce in the end? <laughs> Nothing like home-baked cookies, amen? Peanut butter is the best. Oatmeal is a close second. I read this story a couple different times over the course of this last week. How many are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata? And she was injured, obviously, in a, in a uh, swimming accident. She dove into a lake, and there was actually, the bottom was like right there and broke her neck. She's, she's a quadriplegic and great motivational speaker, great artist, um, and just loves the Lord. And just has, has, God has used her life in such a profound way, you know, and you think in, but in the midst of all this, here she is, this, you know, she's, she's a quadriplegic. And, and, and someone once asked her, they said, you know, uh, Johnny, you know, why does God allow suffering? And, and, and I love what she said. She said, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves, what he loves. And you think about it in her life. I mean, she has done 
more as a quadriplegic than probably, I mean, you know, than she ever could have accomplished had she not been injured. And yet we look at that and you just, you know, we question it, but she doesn't. That, that's the beauty of it. God has visited her in the midst of that and made that clear to her. You know, Jesus said it, you know, best. He said, you know, he causes the rain to fall. God does on the, the just and the unjust. And, and sadly, you know, what happens is that, that same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. When you go through things in this life, only one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to get bitter or you're going to get better. I mean, you know all kinds of people, you know. I know people in this church, I mean, they go through hard things and you go and all, you watch what's happening you go and it's just making them bitter and become more bitter and bitter. And your hope and prayer is that, you know, God would just add more trial to that until what? Until it bakes it all together so that uh, they can become better. Because that's his hope, you know, that's his desire for all of us. You know, Job, I mean, he suffered greatly. And what did he say? The Lord gives and the Lord does what? Takes away. But what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think of that song, it always comes back to mind, you know, Laura's story, the song Blessings. You know, we pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while you hear each broken need, your love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights is what it takes to know that you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? And that is so profound, isn't it? And that's how God works in ways that, again, we don't comprehend. She said in the song, we pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough. All the while you hear each desperate plea as long as we have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds us his heart. This is not our home. What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise. Man, it's just so, so profound. The last one, we end with this. The fifth bite there in verse 28. You think about this. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good to who? A very specific group of people. Like I said, it doesn't just work out because you're a human being. It says to those, it's a promise to those that are in Christ Jesus today. Are you in Christ? If you're not, then I encourage you, open your heart to him. Let him in, confess him as Savior and Lord, confess your sins to God, find forgiveness at the cross. That's the beauty of what we count here in communion today, that Jesus took the nails for us. That's why James could say, James 1, 2 through 4, Dear brothers and sisters, he says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know, all through scripture, I mean, you can find story after story. You know, to those, to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You think about Joseph and what he suffered through. Didn't make sense, you know, in the moment. But when God visits you there, and all of a sudden at the end of the story, right, what does he say to his brothers who gave him up, you know, sold him into slavery? He says, what you meant for evil. He said, God did what? He turned it for good. Yeah. To those that are in Christ Jesus, not to the world. He hasn't promised that. One of the most profound stories for me in the Old Testament was you know, there in, while the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity, right? One of our, another favorite refrigerator verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. What did God say? He said, the thoughts that I think towards you are what? They're good. He said, not of evil, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future, right? And you go, but where were they? They were in Babylonian captivity. They were in the midst of their captivity. And what was God telling them? You know, yeah, I, got a, I got a better plan. For who? For you. Because you were chosen. You were chosen of God. And yet the, the best of them all, when you think about this, is, is Jesus on the cross, right? I mean, wow. I mean, we saw the worst that the world could ever offer. I mean, the worst of humanity is evidence at the cross. But what else do we see? You know, the beauty of God, the love of God. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him. Are you in Jesus today? That's where you want to be. Because it's only those who are in Christ that have the promises of God. The yes and the amen of God. Oh, there's all kinds of promises in the God for those that don't believe, right? Uh, yeah, it's not just the Bible isn't just full of promises for believers. There's promises for non-believers too. There's a day coming. There's a judgment day coming. So the key is, is to be in Christ Jesus. And that's what we celebrate this morning. I'll invite the worship team to come up. And as we do, this will be the last Sunday that we do it this way. These things are going by the wayside. Uh, we are going to back to our next month, our old methodology of passing out communion and doing what we see in scripture. This was a COVID practice that we, we've carried on way too long. Um, but the beauty of, of communion is something that we receive together. We're receiving it together because we're doing it here, but to receive it and, and take it at the same time, you know, is something very, very special in the body of Christ. But today we're going to give you that opportunity as, as we close to you can come to one of these stations and spend time thanking and praising God. And then next month, we'll actually do a teaching on it. And we'll walk through this is why we're headed in this direction. And I know it'll be special uh, for you as it is for me. And, uh, and then from that point on, unless something happens where we have to, you know, maintain some space or something, God forbid. Um, but uh, we won't be using these things. We'll, we'll still use them for... I don't know, put them in a time capsule or something. I don't know, we'll do something with them, but take them home with you and put them out. Hey, we used to do communion like this. You know? But I want to invite you, if you would, stand to your feet with me. Let's pray, we'll worship, and then enjoy this time of communion with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the pleasure of knowing you. We thank you for the promises. We think about just these words here in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. To know your love for us to think, Lord, that all things work together for good to them that love you and are called according 
to your purpose. One of the things that we'll talk about in the days ahead here that maybe this morning doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but to think that love and forgiveness are directly connected. Because you love this world, you forgave us. You provided an opportunity for us to experience forgiveness. We think in our own life, we, we love people and, and the people that we love, we'd say more than others in the true sense is because we forgive them more. It's not because they're less sinners, but we've made a willful decision to go, you know what? It's like in marriage, uh, you stand at an altar and say, I promise to love you and honor you and cherish you in spite of everything, you know, because I'm gonna marry, you're gonna be my wife, or you're gonna be my husband. We're saying in the essence to, to love is to forgive. Jesus, you said it best for us going out, you know, this service today, the way that we best represent you and reflect you to the world. You said by this, all men will know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. That, that's what the cross is all about. Forgiveness and love intertwined together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Father, help us to receive all that you have for us today. Be glorified in your church this week. Help us to be a true reflection. We think about to those who, who love God, who are loved by God, or those that are being conformed in the image of, of his son. And Jesus, the, the great demarcation of your life is that you love. You love sinners. You love the world. We, we say we hate the world, but yet you love the world so much you died for it. God, open our eyes to these truths that you would have for us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Enjoy this time of communion. God bless you, you know, as you go today.
I want to know. 